Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, verses 45 through 46. I was listening to a sermon on this passage, and I was happy. This is uh, Brian Davis. He's a pastor at Risen Christ Fellowship. And uh, Shailen, a pastor who was there, uh, preached on verse uh, 44 the week before, which was on the treasure hidden in a field that a man out of for joy sold everything he had and bought that field. And then Brian got up and I was like, okay, what, I, I look at what, what do other pastors do? Do they, do they take a bigger text? Do they put those two together because they're sort of the same point? You know, how do they break it down? And I take other people's thoughts and consideration when I think about what we're going to do and what we're going to study. And so I was happy that Brian Davis, he got up and preached just this parable on the, the, great, the pearl of great price. And he, he got up there and he said, well, he read the text and he said, basically, the point of this week's sermon on the pearl of great price is the same point that God made in the parable last week about the treasure hidden in a field. So let us pray. It was a joke. He was saying, we're not going to have a sermon today because it's the same point last week. No, but then he preached a whole other sermon on the pearl of great price. And that brought joy to my heart. You just can't preach enough on Jesus and how valuable he is. <laughs> so we're just going to look at this one parable together. Matthew 13, 45 through 46. Jesus is speaking here and he says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Father, we certainly agree with Jesus' words here. But Father, we, we need to more than just intellectually assent to these truths. We, we, we need hearts that overflow with joy and yea and amens to, to actually do this. To actually do this. And, and not just do it once when we're converted, but to do it every day, to do it in moments when we're tempted to sin and seek after other pearls besides Jesus. We need to be strengthened and fed by this text that we might die to sin more and more and live unto righteousness and choose this pearl every single moment of every single day, no matter what temptations seek to lure us away to other pearls. And so, Father, we ask that your spirit would be with us, that you would strengthen us, that you would help us, that you would guide us and lead us, that you would uh, work in us such that we always choose this pearl. For Jesus' sake, amen. We continue to study the parables of Jesus told that he told about the kingdom of heaven. And today we come to another parable Again, very much like the parable of the treasure hidden in the field, it's also about the value or worth of the kingdom of heaven, the parable of the pearl of great price. The kingdom is the most valuable reality in the universe. If you like thesis statements, if you like to put a sermon in one sentence, there it is. The kingdom is more valuable than anything else in the universe. It's more valuable than anything else you own today. It's more valuable than your husband, your wife, your children, your grandchildren. It's more valuable than your greatest possession, your house, your car. It's more valuable than your boyfriend or girlfriend. It's more valuable than your cat. It's more valuable than Hoppy. We love Hoppy. But the kingdom is even more valuable than Hoppy more valuable than Sonny, more valuable children than your favorite teddy bear that you grew up with, that you could never part with. The kingdom is more valuable than everything and, and is worth leaving all of that to have the kingdom. 
to have Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is like a searching merchant. That's the first thing we learn in our passage today. Look at verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine or good, if you have the King Jimmy, goodly pearls. Goodly pearls, good pearls. Not just any pearls, fine pearls, good pearls. And so uh, this parable is about a, a searching merchant. Notice in the, this parable, the merchant is actually searching for the treasure, the pearl, whereas in the parable of the treasure hidden in the field, the man was not searching but just happened to find the treasure when he wasn't looking for it. This pearl merchant man is trying to find it. It wasn't like me. Yesterday, I, I took, took Jake and Isabel to see one of the great sights of Philadelphia, the Rocky statue, and we ran up the Rocky steps. And as I was running up the Rocky steps, I wasn't searching, but I looked down and I found a pearl. And I thought, how relevant. I'm preaching on this tomorrow and I found a pearl. As I'm running up the steps, I had to go back and they're like, what happened? What happened? No, I'm okay. I just found a pearl. I don't think it was a pearl of great price, but I still have it. But I wasn't searching for that. I just found it. This, this merchant is searching specifically for a pearl of great price. Listen to how uh, Pastor John MacArthur contrasts what was happening last week with this week. In case number one, the man searching, or the man who found the treasure, the man just comes across the treasure. In case number two, the man knows exactly what he's looking for. Now, even if number one was a treasure hunter, he didn't know what he was looking for. Number two did. Now, what does this tell us? Well, the man in the field most likely was not looking for treasure. He was going through whatever routine he went through, working or plowing a field or building something or preparing some uh, soil for the whatever. And he was in the field and he was going along seeking sustenance for his life, doing what he did, and he stumbled across a fortune. Now there are people who enter the kingdom of heaven like that, aren't there? Sure there are. The apostle Paul, was he seeking to enter the kingdom? Not on your life. He thought he was in it. He was on his way to Damascus to kill Christians. The next thing he knew, God blasted him out of heaven. He landed in the dirt and he was redeemed. He was just doing his thing. He was just plowing his field and he stumbled into a fortune. How about the Samaritan woman? She was thirsty. She came down to a well to drink, uh, get a drink of water and went home redeemed. And then there was the man born blind and all that he really wanted out of life was to be able to see and he, he went away redeemed also. And you know there are some people who come to church to mock the preacher and then they get saved. It reminds me of, 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 a, of a preacher named George Whitfield and there was a, a group that followed him around and mocked him and they would mock his preaching and laugh at him as he preached the gospel and, and ridiculed him. And, and one of the ways they would ridicule him is they would memorize his sermons and then they would preach them in a mocking and derogatory way. And this man was, was once preaching one of Whitfield's sermons, mocking him. All of a sudden, he began to be convicted by the Holy Spirit of his sin by the very words he was speaking in mockery. And he sat down and got saved. That's amazing. That's the power of the Holy Ghost. That's the power of the Holy Ghost. So you better be careful, MacArthur says. There are people who aren't particularly seeking that but they stumble into the treasure. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, when he was young, sort of resolutely attended church because it was the right thing to do, but he didn't know Christ and he wasn't seeking Christ. He was content with his religiosity. He was only 15 years old and one morning, it was New Year's morning, he decided it would be proper to go to church. His biographer said there was such a blizzard of snow that he was not able to reach the church that he was in the habit of attending. When I could not go further, he said, I turned down a court and came to a little primitive Methodist church. By the way, this is why in the winter when it snows, no matter how many feet it is, we still open up. <laughs> we still open because Spurgeon's going to walk down the street and come to Oni Baptist Church and get saved. So we're never closed. This, this winter, no matter how bad the blizzard is, we don't close because Spurgeon's coming here to get saved. <laughs> 
He went to this little primitive Methodist church and the preacher who was to have conducted the service never got there because he was held up by the weather. And quickly, one of the officers had to be brought forward to conduct the service with a congregation of perhaps 15 people. The man, said Spurgeon, was really uneducated and unlearned. His text was, Look unto me, all ye. Look unto me and be saved, all ye ends of the earth. And he just kept repeating it because he didn't have anything else to say. And something about young Spurgeon caught the preacher's eye. Young man, he said suddenly, you look very miserable. Miserable in life and miserable in death. You will be if you don't obey my text. And suddenly he literally shouted, young man, look to Jesus. Look, look, look. And said Spurgeon, I look. And then in there, the cloud was gone and the darkness rolled away. In that moment, I saw the sun. He wasn't searching for anything, but it got him anyway. He stumbled into a fortune. Few people who have ever lived here affected so many souls as Charles Haddon Spurgeon. I don't know who that uneducated guy that preached was, but he just kept repeating the text, and it was of God. I wonder if there's someone here this morning. Look. Look unto the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. All ye ends of the earth. Look, look, look and be saved. You see, Spurgeon wasn't searching these biblical examples. They weren't searching. They stumbled across this fortune in Jesus. In contrast to what we're studying today, this, this pearl merchant, he was searching. He was searching specifically for something that he knew he was looking for. A pearl of great price. The merchant was searching for fine pearls. Pearls were very valuable in Jesus' day. Even more valuable than gold. And, and pearls are still valuable today. I, I, I did a little research and uh, you know, if, if, you, if you look up what, what's the most valuable, expensive pearl in the world, you, you might get uh, something called the beauty of ocean pearl, which as far as I can tell is actually a man-made pearl. So it's not a natural pearl, but it's worth $139 million. The fisherman's pearl, which was found off the coast of the Philippines... A fisherman found it in this, I think it was a clam, and thought it, thought it was cool looking and put it under his bed as a good luck charm. And somehow somebody found out what this guy had and it, it, it's actually a pearl worth a hundred million dollars. Pearls were valuable in Jesus' day and pearls are still valuable today and this merchant was searching for a pearl of great price Beloved, we are all searching for something fine. Everyone here today is searching for something good and, and fine. You, you, you all want something good and fine. You, you want something. I mean, e even someone who stumbled in here this morning who said, I'm going to give God one last chance before I walk out of here this afternoon and take my own life. Even that person, if you're here this morning, even in taking your own life, you're searching for something better and you think whatever's there is better than what I'm facing here. You're searching for something. We're all born searching for something valuable, something that will make life better for us. It, it could be riches. That's why people blow and waste all their money on uh, the lottery and other endeavors for, for riches. That's why you have workaholics who idolize their work, who work and work and work and work to make money and money and money and money because they think money will make them happy. Searching for the right job, the best job, that perfect job, that perfect relationship. Need that husband, need that wife, or maybe those who are married without children and need to have children. You, you, you might be, be like Hannah, give me children or I die. Searching for that fine pearl of children or power or, or fame or glory. Some kind of meaning in life. Some kind of deeper meaning. We want our life to have meaning. We want success. We want some kind of pleasurable experience. Ultimately, in all of these things, we're searching for happiness. Everyone. 
everyone wants to be happy. Everybody wants to be happy. As I said, that's, that's from Blaise Pascal. Even the man who hangs himself is searching for happiness and thinks whatever is in, in, in the world after is better than what I'm facing now. We all want to be happy. I'm reading this book again by John Piper called Desiring God. If you haven't read it, I would encourage you to read it. I used to travel around with boxes, a box of them in my, my trunk just to give away to people. You haven't read this yet? You've got to read this. If you haven't read it yet, you need to read it. And he explains a concept called Christian hedonism is a philosophy of life built on the following five convictions. Number one, the longing to be happy is a universal human experience and it is not sinful, it is good. It's not wrong that we all want to be happy. Jesus came to us in the Gospels and, and, and set before us rewards to follow Him, appealing to this desire to be happy. Don't fear Him who can kill the body, but fear Him who can cast both body and soul in hell. And come to me that you might not go to hell, but find everlasting happiness. If you follow me, Jesus said, yes, you might lose mother and father and wife and children in this life, but you'll have more multiplied to you through the church in this life and the life to come, eternal life. Come to me for happiness. It's not wrong to want to be happy. Number two, Piper says, we should never try to deny or resist our longing to be happy as though it were a bad impulse. Instead, we should seek to intensify this longing and nourish it with whatever will provide the deepest and most enduring satisfaction. So this is not a bad thing to be suppressed. This, this is a glorious way God created us to be glutted. To be happier than you could ever be happy. To find that which will satisfy infinitely forever. Three, what is that happiness? It's not in all those things I just mentioned that we're searching for. It's not in money. It's not in relationships. It's not in people. It's not in children or grandchildren. It's not in success. It's not in even spiritual success and seeing sinners saved or seeing people grow in Christ or having a successful church, have a successful business. It's not in any of those things. The deepest and most enduring happiness, Piper says, is found only in God. Not from God, but in God Himself. And, and that's why it's so important that you see, we don't just say seek God. You see why Piper does that? Don't just seek God. People seek God for the wrong reasons all the time. People come to church to get their blessing on this week. They come to church because what they really want is their marriage to go better. They come to church because they really want to have a better life this week. They're trying to sort of twist God's arm to give them what they really want, what their really God is, which is money, fame, glory, a husband, a wife. No, Piper's saying you come to God for God. That you come to Him because He's the treasure. He, he's the pearl of great price. We come to God for God. The deepest and most enduring happiness is found only in God. Not from God, not from the gifts God gives you, but in God Himself. The happiness, number four, the happiness we find in God reaches its consummation when it is shared with others in the manifold ways of love. And number five, to the extent that we try to abandon the pursuit of our own pleasure, we fail to honor God and love people. Did you get that? To the extent we, we, we abandon our pursuit of pleasure in God. In other words, I, I just don't want to come here on Sunday. I did my duty. Jesus said He hates that. He, he said to the Pharisees, they worship me with their lips, but their heart far from me. Hearts that find delight in God. Delight in singing His praises. Delight in His Word. That, that's what pleases God. To the extent that we try to abandon the pursuit of our own pleasure, our joy in God, we fail to honor God and love people. Or to put it positively, the pursuit of pleasure is a necessary part of all worship and virtue. That is, the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. Or, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. God is the pearl of great price. Our problem as human beings is that we often search for happiness or something fine in sin. 
or in lawful biblical pleasures, but we put them before and above God. Beloved, let me just remind us today, we are not the pearl of great price. <laughs> some, some people torture this text and say, we are the pearl of great price and Jesus has come searching for us. No! <laughs> we are not the pearl of great price. We are bad. We are ba the Bible says we are bad. We are bad at heart. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I mean, yes, we are made in God's image. And, 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 and we are the height of God's creation as creatures made in God's image. E even as fallen sinners, we are made in God's image and, and, and worthy of value and honor and dignity because we're made in God's image. Every person in the world is made in God's image and worthy of honor and value and dignity. But we have sinned against God. Which, which, which makes the rebellion even worse that we're so dignified and made in His image. It makes the rebellion even worse. We've sinned against Him. Romans 3, 10-18, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Listen to this. Their throat is an open grave. Anybody ever smelt a dead body? That's some bad breath. That's some bad stinking breath. Their throat is an open grave. Whew. That, that's how God describes us, apart from Christ as sinners. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. The Bible says sinners, apart from Christ, are dead in sin. By nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. John Calvin said we are so captivated by the allurements of the world that eternal life fades from our view. And because of our carnality, the spiritual graces of God are far from being held by us in the estimation which they deserve. And so this is, this is the problem. We... we, 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 we Th those who are, who are in bondage to sin, those who are not born again, those who don't know God, they find their pearl of great price in all of this dung. Dung. I mean, what would you say about somebody? <laughs> you're, you're, you're in my hometown and you're driving with me in the car and we go by one of those beloved cow pastures that I love the smell of because it reminds me of home even though might, y'all might think it's a bad smell but it's a good smell to me because I'm home and I smell those cow patties. And we drive past there and somebody sees a cow t making a cow patty and he says, stop the car, stop the car! And they run out to the cow and get the patty and they get it and they rub it all over themselves. I love cow patties! I love this. This is amazing. And they start eating it. Oh, it's so good. What would you think about such a person? Crazy. Crazy. That's a picture of what sin is. That, 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 that's a, a small picture because, you know, it, it's worse than that because it kills you. But, that, but that's what going after sin is. It, it's, it's insane for those who have eyes to see, but the world is fixated on sin to satisfy their soul. And so the world and sinners, and we make idols, right? We make idols of, of good things even. Husbands, wives, children, grandchildren, job. It's not bad to have a job, it's a good thing. Money, it's good to have money and use it for God's glory, but we can make an idol of it. We can make idols of good things and then there's sexual morality. People make an idol of sex and so they commit sexual morality and have sex outside of marriage. You have people uh, uh, committing sexual morality by men sleeping with men and women sleeping with women and homosexuality and lesbianism. You have people making idols out of, out of their identity and think, well, I'm a woman even though I'm a man and rebelling against God. You, you need to understand, friends, that's wicked and evil rebellion. God made me a man. Live as a man. That's what God said. 
To rebel against that is wicked. It's a, it's a sin against God. It's God murder. To say, no, God, I'm a woman when he made me a man. God hates that. That is rebellion against the Most High. That is treason worthy of death and hell. But the, the world we live in is eating cow manure. Oh, so good. Uh, so good cow manure. They love it. The world we live in is eating cow manure and loving it. They, they find joy in these things. Celebrate these things. Have pride months where they take pride in eating cow manure. That's what sin is. And because of our sinful hearts, we, we pursue that which we believe will make us happy and bring us pleasure, and it's all cow manure. Our only hope is, is God. Our only hope to be saved from that and to see life the way it really is, to see, oh, oh, this smells. Oh, this tastes nasty. Oh, this does not satisfy. Oh, if I eat enough of this, it will kill me. God has to transform our hearts and eyes to see reality for what it really is, right? And so that's called being born again. And, and, and so we, we love sin, but God, God causes us to be born again and opens our eyes to see what sin really is and how ugly and nasty and putrid and poisonous and, 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 and hellish it is and, and opens our eyes to see, no, Christ is beautiful. Christ is glorious. Living according to His commands is, is the happiest life you could ever have, even with suffering and persecution. And, and in the life to come, eternal happiness and joy. And so God so loved us calmanure-eating people that He sent Jesus into the world to live a perfect life. The God-man, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, lived a perfect life, never sinned, perfectly obedient. And died on that cross where He suffered the wrath of God. He suffered the curse and judgment and wrath of God for all of our sins and died and was buried. And on the third day, He rose from the dead. He conquered sin, death, and hell. So that if you turn from your sins today, if you hear what I'm saying and see, yet yeah, you're right. You're right. Living this way, rebellion against authority, rebellion uh, uh, against God is evil and wicked and unsatisfying. God's Spirit may show you that today. And He might open your eyes to see Christ is glorious that Christ is the Savior, that Christ can save you. And God may give you faith and repentance and you believe in Him. And I'm calling you, repent and believe today. Turn from your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. If you want to talk about this more, I'll be here afterwards. There are other Christians here who would love to speak with you. But I urge you, trust in Jesus. Turn from sin. Turn from the emptiness of it all and find your joy and happiness in God. This is the pearl of great price. Look at verse 45 and 46 again. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great price went and sold all that he had and bought it. God and his kingdom, Jesus and his kingdom, this is the pearl of greatest price. And, and notice the pearl is so valuable, it's worth selling everything else just to get it as we thought a lot about the last two Sundays. This pearl is worth selling everything you have just to get it. And again, that doesn't mean you can buy the kingdom, but it means Jesus is worth everything. Having this salvation is worth everything. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world, Jesus said, and lose his soul? I mean, what, what if you had that option before you today? You can either have the whole world Everything you've ever dreamed, all the, all the sports cars in the world you ever wanted, all the houses, all the vacations, all the money, all, you can have all of that. Everything you've ever wanted, your dream husband, your dream wife, your dream children, your dream happiness, whatever you came here searching for, you can have that and everything else in the whole world. You can either have that and die and go to hell after your little measly 70, 80 year, 100 year life, or you can have Jesus and eternal life, even though for the next 70, 80 years, you might have a hard plow. What would you take? Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Jesus said, it ain't worth it. The whole world ain't worth losing your soul. 
Jesus and his kingdom is the pearl of great price that is worth forsaking everything for and taking him. Stephen Lawson commented, once you find this pearl, no other pearls catch your attention. No other treasures matter to you. Once you get a glimpse of him, no other lovers can entice you because he's just that beautiful. He's just that good. He's just that satisfying. He's that kind of lover that once you taste of Him, ain't nobody can compare. And so you don't look around anymore because He's everything to you. Ignatius of Antioch said, apart from Jesus Christ, let nothing dazzle you. Apart from Jesus, let nothing dazzle you. Jesus is the pearl. Colossians 2, 2 and 3, Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. They're all in Christ. Jesus is God. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the first and the last. He's the beginning and the end. In Him you are chosen. In Him you are justified. In Him you are adopted. In Him you are adopted. I was so encouraged this morning one of those moments where I know my heart's in it, right? When my heart's not far from God, I'm just listening to a Sunday school teacher teach with my heart just erupted in joy when Michael told me that God will never love me less. No matter what I do, God will never love me less. And there's nothing I can do to make Him love me more. You think you get that? You don't get that. I don't get that. That's amazing. It takes us forever to get that. I can't do anything to make God love me more. And I can't do anything to make Him love me less. What a God. In, in Him, we're adopted. We're adopted. In, in, in Him, in, in Him, we're forgiven of all our sins. We're counted righteous. In Him, we're sanctified. In Him, we're being conformed to the image of Christ. In Him, we will be glorified. That's why it says He, he, he glorified because it's as good as done in Romans 8. In Him, you are saved and safe and satisfied. In Christ is the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Jesus Christ is the pearl of great price. I was very helped and encouraged by an article I read about uh, this called Christ, the Pearl of Great Price, written by an old author, pastor named William Nicholson. Listen to his points on Christ, the Pearl of Great Price. Number one, pearls, as naturalists say, have a mysterious origin. So we're going to meditate a little bit now on Jesus, the pearl of great price, using Nicholson's words. Pearls, as the naturalists say, have a mysterious origin. They are the wonderful production of shellfish found chiefly in the East Indies. The shell, at a certain time of the year, opens itself and pearls form when a microscopic intruder settles inside the shell. The mollusk, being irritated by the intruder, secretes materials to cover the irritant. This secretion a uh, process is repeated many times, thus producing a pearl. So the origin and birth of Christ are wonderful and mysterious. God manifest in the flesh is the admiration of angels. A virgin, the mother of this pearl according to the flesh, being overshadowed with the Holy Spirit, travailed in birth and brought forth Christ, the pearl of great price. Two, those who would find pearls must search diligently for them and encounter many dangers by diving into the sea. Those who would find Christ, the pearl of great price, must search and seek after Him diligently as for hidden treasure. They must resolve to pass through all the troubles and difficulties connected with the profession of Christ. It reminds me of a movie I, I love about a true story, uh, The Case for Christ, about Lee Strobel's life and how, you know, this man who, who was married to this woman and, 
and they were atheists, but then something happened in their life that caused his wife to pursue Christ, and she got saved and began to follow Christ, and he's absolutely angry about this because he feels like he lost his wife because now she's a Jesus freak, and he wants to keep doing what they used to do as husband and wife, and, 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 and she's no fun anymore because now she's this religious nutcase that loves Jesus. And he's mad about this, and so he goes on this, this journey to try and prove Christianity wrong. He's a journalist, so he, he does all this research on Jesus Christ and the man Jesus and the Gospels and the reliability of the Bible and the, 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 the truthfulness of the resurrection, and he's going to prove her faith wrong. And guess what happens? He ends up getting saved because he realizes that uh, uh, Christ is, is God and Christ did die and Christ rose from the dead and he gets saved and born again and now he's writing books all over the place proclaiming that Jesus is king. But it was a struggle. It was hard. He went through a lot. He, he, he searched a lot. He flew to California and talked to this professor and flew here and talked to this doctor and flew here and talked to this psychologist. It, it was a hard struggle. And friends, if you're here this morning and, and you're just dabbling in this Christianity stuff trying to figure out more about it, I would urge you, keep searching. No matter how hard it is, no matter how long it takes, you search, you will find He is the pearl of greatest value. Keep searching. No matter how hard or long it takes, you will find there is no one like Him. Yes. Number three, it is not easy. It is not an easy thing to find pearls. They are generally found on rocks submerged in deep water and it requires considerable skill in those who dive for them to discover them. Just so, it is no easy thing to find Christ and obtain a real saving interest in Him. This difficulty arises from the pride of the heart which revolts at being stripped of all its claims to self-righteousness. The demands of the gospel are too self-denying and too mortifying for the sinner. He will not stop. Uh, he will not stoop to them. Besides, he has never dived into his own heart to perceive his wretchedness, nor into the scriptures to perceive Christ's glory. I was talking to a young man that brought an awning this week and just asked him, Have you heard of, of Jesus? Uh, have you heard of sin? Do, do you know what sin is? And I began to go through different sins, and he, Oh, I've, I've never done any of that. <laughs> When I meet people like that, I, I, well, you're lying to me because you have sinned. Because I know, I know the one who made you and he told me you have. But there are people like that, right? They, they haven't dived into their own hearts to perceive their own wretchedness. They haven't seen how wicked and sinful they are and, and so they don't understand their need for a Savior. And brothers and sisters, that's why when we do evangelism, we need to talk about sin and death and hell. Just like Jesus did with the rich young ruler. He went to the law of God so that people might see their sinfulness and see their need for the pearl yes. who saves from hell, who saves from sin. Number four, pearls are very valuable. They are the richest merchandise of all, says Pliny, and the most sovereign commodity throughout the whole world. They have ever been highly valued and men would part with all to possess them. Just so Christ is of inestimable value and may well be called the pearl of great price. The worth and excellency of Christ far exceeds the riches of both Indies. He is the rarest jewel the Father has in heaven and earth, more precious unto believers than rubies. All that can be desired cannot be compared unto Him. What Job says of the value of wisdom is strictly applicable to Christ. It cannot be bought with the finest gold, nor can its price be weighed in silver. It cannot be bought with the gold of Ophir, with precious onyx or sapphires. Neither gold nor crystal can compare with it, nor can it be had for jewels of gold. Coral and jasper are not worthy of mention. The price of wisdom is beyond rubies. The topaz of Cush cannot compare with it. It cannot be bought with pure gold. Those who have Christ have enough. They have the true riches, the greatest prize. They are rich for time, for death, and for eternity. This pearl of great price invests them with infinite and everlasting wealth and dignity and glory. Five pearls possess a splendid brightness, shining in splendor. Their beauty is as much within as without. Just so, Christ is beautiful, fair, and shining. His glorious beauties, His splendid brightness surpass the glorious splendor and brightness of the sun shining in its strength. 
He is the brightness of the Father's glory, Hebrews 1.3. He is the light of the world and the light and glory of heaven. As evangelist Sam Jones said in his little article, The Incomparable Christ, more than 2,000 years ago, there was a man born contrary to the laws of nature. He laid aside his purple robe for a peasant's tunic. He was rich, yet for our sake he became poor. This man lived in poverty and was raised in obscurity. He received no formal education and never possessed wealth or widespread influence. He never traveled extensively. He seldom crossed the boundary of the country in which he lived. But this man's life has changed the course of history. In infancy, he startled a king. In childhood, he amazed religious scholars. In manhood, he ruled the course of nature, walked on stormy waves and hushed the raging sea to sleep. He healed multitudes without medicine and made no charge for his services. He never practiced psychiatry, yet he has healed more broken hearts than all the doctors far and near. He never wrote a book while he lived in his humiliation on earth, but he inspired the book of all books, the Bible, and his life has inspired more books than any other man. He never wrote a song while he lived in his humiliation on earth, yet he has furnished the theme for more songs than all songwriters combined. He never founded a college, but all the schools put together cannot boast of having as many students. He never marshaled an army. He never drafted a soldier or fired a gun, yet no leader ever had more rebels surrender to him without a shot fired. Herod could not kill him. Satan could not seduce him. His enemies could not destroy him. The grave could not hold him. After three days, he rose from the dead alive forevermore. He is the ever perfect one. He is the Christ, the son of the living God. This man stands forth upon the highest pinnacle of heavenly glory, proclaimed by God, acknowledged by angels, adored by his people, and feared by demons as the risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the pearl of great price who possesses brightness and splendor and beauty like no other. Number six, it is said that pearls possess medicinal value like calcium, being an antidote to poison and melancholy and tending to preserve bodily strength. Just so Christ possesses healing and strengthening power, there is no comforting or pleasant tasting medicine so rich and efficacious to the wounded soul as Jesus Christ. The power of His sacrifice and Spirit revive immediately the contrite ones. We are strengthened with all might by His Spirit in the inner man. By Him we destroy the poison and power of sin and Satan. Number seven, pearls are so firm, strong, and compact that fire cannot consume them, nor ordinary strength break them. Christ is called a stone, a tried stone, a sure foundation. No fire can consume Him. No aesthetic infidel, no atheistic infidel or satanic power can break or injure him. The gates of hell shall not prevail against him. Eight, pearls are a rich ornament and those who bear them are accounted the honorable of mankind. Just so Christ is the believer's richest ornament. Those who are adorned with this pearl are the most renowned and honorable ones in the world. Nine, notwithstanding the excellent value of pearls, Yet many are ignorant of them, and many esteem them no more than pebbles. Pigs tread them under their feet. I already made this point, but William here is telling us, don't be a pig. (laughs) Right? Remember Jesus said that? Don't throw your pearls before pigs. Swine tread them under their feet. The Lord Jesus Christ, though He's so precious as to be adored by saints and angels, is despised and rejected by men of the world who have their portion in this life. They see no beauty nor loveliness in Him. The eyes of their understanding are darkened. And friend, I would just say that if that's you this morning, pray now. Lord, give me eyes to see. Please, please If you're here thinking about other things, just hoping this will be over soon so you can go and get that pearl you really love or go and do that pearlish activity that you really desire, pray now, God, give me eyes to see the the value of Jesus. Please, God, 
Jesus is boring to me, Lord. He, he's nothing to me. I, I, he's boring. This word is boring. The preacher is boring. I wish he would be quiet. It's hot. Please let us go home. Pray. Pray. Lord, help me. Show me. Open my eyes. Open my heart. Let me see that Christ is beautiful, that Christ is glorious. Pray that God would do that in your heart. Pearls are, number 10, pearls are found one by one or one at a time, just so Christ is singular. There is but one Christ the Savior. There's but one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. It is the one pearl of great price and there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. In other words, Jesus is not just one pearl among many options. It won't be old Buddha sitting on the throne. It won't be Hira Krishna welcoming us home. It won't be old Muhammad welcoming us through the gates. If you're going to come to heaven, you got to come through Jesus' name. It's a song by the Imperials called Old Buddha, if you want to look it up. I love the boldness of that kind of song. Buddhists will go to hell. Muslims will go to hell. Jews will go to hell. Hindus will go to hell. And it's loving to tell them that and call them to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that they might go to heaven. That's loving. They, they call me a hater when I say that at Broad and Alney. Why do you put down other religions? Why can't you? you don't, don't do that. Because it's loving. It's loving to warn people about the wrath to come. And they're believing in false gods and false religions that only lead to hell. Let's be a loving congregation. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's the only way to be saved. He's not one among many options. He's the only option. The writer goes on, but though the glory and excellency of Christ as the Savior are admirably set forth in the figure of the text, the pearl, yet observe the following disparity. So now he's going to give us a few ways where Jesus is not like a pearl. Number one, pearls have an earthly origin. Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory from heaven. <laughs> Two, pearls are of a perishing nature. They may be defaced, broken, dissolved, come to nothing. Christ is durable. The pearl of great price can never be spoiled or dissolved. Nothing can diminish His beauty or glory. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Number three, men may find a rich and precious pearl and yet may remain miserable. And by the way, that's what happens with everything people search at in the world. That you'll end up miserable. You might be happy all the way to your death, but then you'll die and be miserable in hell forever. But you got what you wanted in this life. He's saying people can get these riches and pearls and things they want and still remain miserable, but he who finds Christ can never be miserable. Jesus supplies all the wants and necessities of believers. He makes them rejoice with joy, with joy unspeakable and full of glory. All things are yours. And then he gives three applications. One, bless God for bestowing his chief and best pearl upon you. <laughs> That's basically Michael's application. Bless God that he loves you and you cannot change that. God has bestowed that pearl upon you. We've, we've been thinking about that as we've read the sovereignty of God. Are you amazed that you're born when and where you were born? Think about all the people God chose to be born a thousand years before Christ was ever born in Australia or South America. They never heard about the pearl. Never heard about the pearl and died and went to hell. And God chose you. Unlike all those millions of people, God chose you to be born 2,000 years after Jesus did all this amazing work for sinners. He chose you to be born, not, not in Somalia, not, not in these countries that there are very few Christians that don't have uh, access to the gospel. You weren't born in a place where the language of the Bible hasn't been translated into their own language. You were born here. You, you, you're, you're even here today. What, what a, a, a blessing to be here today to hear this gospel again that you might hear and believe. God's shouting that He loves you. Bless God that He bestowed His chief and best pearl upon you. Friend, don't leave without receiving the pearl by faith alone in Christ alone. Two, be willing to part with all for the possession of this pearl. Go and sell all that you have 
Surrender the world with all its fascinations and pleasures. Surrender your self-righteousness. Surrender your pride. Surrender your pleasures. Surrender your popularity. Surrender everything to possess this invaluable gem, the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, friend, I asked the question last week, what, what do you need to leave? If you're an unbeliever here, what do you need to leave behind? What's holding you back? Can you not bring yourself to move out of that house with that boyfriend or girlfriend because you love him or her and that sex so much? Jesus is better. I, I'm, I'm here commissioned by God to tell you Jesus is better. Leave it behind. Leave it behind. Christ is better. By the way, sex in marriage is better because that's the way God designed it. So if you want the best sex in the world, wait until you get married and then get married and enjoy yourself. If you want to learn more about that, read the Song of Solomon this afternoon. Jesus is better and His way is better. The way He teaches us in His Word is better. Because He made you. Take Christ and His way. Third, He says, see the folly of those who prefer earthly vanities to Christ, the pearl of great price. Death will soon cause them to surrender all that they idolize on the earth. And then they will lack the only substantial wealth, Christ, the pearl of great price. Friend, may we flee sin. May we free the, flee the idols of this world and take Christ as our all in all. I want to give you a few examples from the Bible. Actually, one example from the Bible and one example from church history of people who've done this. The woman, Mary, in John 12, 3, we read, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his, hair, his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So Mary took this expensive ointment. I mean, this was a lot of money. And she spent it all on Jesus. David Mathis writes here expensive is the same word used for the one great pearl in Matthew 13 exceedingly precious so manifestly uncomfortably valuable was the ointment that the disciples and chiefly Judas registered their concerns you know Jesus disciples got mad about this woman doing this so did Judas they said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? A denarius was a laborer's daily wage. This ointment represented a whole year's earnings for a six days a week worker. Likely, this was Mary's nest egg for the future. And yet, as precious as it was, she saw Jesus as more precious. She saw Him as surpassingly valuable. She poured her future on His feet. I love that phrase. She poured her future on His feet. And in doing so, she demonstrated who was supremely precious to her. Beloved, may we live like that. May we pour our future on Jesus' feet. May we put all our eggs for life and death and comfort and happiness and hope in the Jesus basket. And... An example from church history. I have been thinking about Elizabeth Elliot a lot lately, and I recently found out that she grew up as Elizabeth Howard uh, about 3.7 miles from here in Germantown at 103 West Washington Lane, not far from Anthony Butler, where he resides. And, and so I, as soon as I found out, I'm going. I'm going. And I go over there, I take all my books that she's written, get a picture from a neighbor, and had some interaction with the neighbors there, pray for that, that they would receive those books and read them and be saved. But I've been thinking about her and her husband, Jim Elliott, who uh, wrote these words that summarize this passage very well. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he can't keep you, you can't keep the stuff in this life anyway. As one has said, no hearse, uh, no U-Haul no has fallen a hearse. He's no fool who gives up what he can't keep to gain what he can never lose. 
And of course, for those of you who know the story, Jim Elliott gave up everything because he and four other men uh, uh, were missionaries in Ecuador to the Waldani tribe, a, a fierce tribe known to, to kill one another and others, and nobody ever visited there and come out alive. And these five men flew in to try to make peace with these people and love them. They took guns, but they were committed not to shoot anybody, just fire in the air because the Waldani weren't ready for heaven and they were. And so they made friendly contact with them for three months. They gave them gifts by airplane, and, and they, they landed, and they had a friendly encounter with them. But the next day, because of, of a, a problem in the tribe and a lie that was spread by one of the first people that met them, those five men got speared to death and killed. And they fired the guns in the air to try to scare them, but they weren't scared, and they, they killed them all. And here you have this, this, this woman who's been married to this man for 27 months. They have a, a little daughter, a new little daughter. And she's over there too, supporting her husband in Ecuador. And now she's a widow. She, she, is, she is a crazy woman for Jesus. I'm telling you, I love her. What, wouldn't most women come home at least and cry a little bit with their family? She just does the next thing. <laughs> That's just one of her mottos, do the next thing. She stayed there. She kept being a missionary. I'm a missionary. I'm just going to stay here and do missionary work. And she did. For the next 10 years, she just stayed and kept doing the work of missions. And two years after her husband was killed, she got invited to come and, and, and live with the very men who killed her husband. And she took her little daughter in with her. Do they make people like that today? I mean, I want to be a person like that, but do they make people like that today? She went in there and lived with them and helped lead the tribe to Jesus. I mean, she had a great pearl, Christ. And it showed by the way she and by the way her husband, Jim, lived. But this is, this is my thought about her. I, I was trying to put myself in her mind when her husband was killed. And I, I was thinking about the, 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 the passage well, before the passage, I, I was thinking about this question. What is the most tempting pearl to idolize apart from Christ for, for godly men and women in this world? What, what is the most tempting pearl to idolize apart from Christ for the godly person in this world? So I'm not talking about unbelievers now. I'm talking about godly people who love Jesus, committed to Jesus, ready to die for Jesus. What, what is the most tempting idol for them? Well, what in the world is most like God? You can answer from the crowd. What in the world is most like God? Phyllis? Us! People! People! We're made in God's image. We're the only thing made in God's image. So for the godly, I believe, the most tempting idol is other people. Especially people you're close to. Like husband, who could get speared to death. And children. I believe that as well because I believe I have scriptural warrant. When Jesus made one of the most shocking statements that he ever made, which I often quote here in this pulpit, Luke 14, 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So Jesus takes those who are closest to us and says, you got to hate them compared to me if you want to be my disciple. He's the pearl of great price even before family and husband and wife. Now, I was thinking about Elizabeth because I'm trying to put myself in her mind thinking, what was it like to lose this man? Like, like well, I mean, they, you can read the book Passion and Purity, young people. Excellent book on love and marriage and waiting to have sex till marriage. They had lots of passion. They had trouble keeping their hands off of each other. But the book's called Passion and Purity. And they waited five years Five years to be together. Passion and purity. What was it like for her, who's madly in love with this godly man, to lose him on the mission field while he was serving Jesus? What temptations must she have had? What, what temptations to not believe what you said this morning? God loves me and I cannot do anything to make him love me less or more. She must have been greatly tempted by Satan. To curse God and die. But she did. And I imagine she thought something like this. Speaking about her husband. I love the way 
that Jim loved King Jesus, but our King Jesus is better than his love for our King. I love the way that Jim knew and obeyed the word of our King, but our King and his word are better than Jim's knowledge and obedience to the word of God. I love the way that Jim made sacrifices for our king. I mean, he made the ultimate sacrifice. My husband is a martyr of the noble armies of the martyrs praising God in Revelation 6 saying, how long, O Lord, until you avenge our blood? I love the way he sacrificed for Jesus. But our king Jesus is better than any sacrifice he ever made for our king. I love the way he got excited about our king, but our king, Jesus, is better than the excitement he had for our king. I love the way he wept over his sin against our king, but our king is better than his weeping over his sin against our king. I love the way he was committed to the church of our king, but our king is better than his commitment to the church. I love the way he loved missions for our king, but our king is better than the way he loved missions for our king. I love the way... He loved me because I love the king. But our king is better than his love for me because I love the king. I love the way his life and time with him pointed me to our king and encouraged me to delight in him and trust in him and obey him. But our king is better than the way his life and time with him pointed me to our king and encouraged me to delight in him and trust and obey him. Our king is better than any lover. Even the most God-exalting, Christ-centered, Bible-loving, word-hearing, word-doing, people-serving lover. The love of the creature for God and the good religious activity of the creature for God cannot compare to or compete with God Himself or His love or His redemptive activity for us or His sovereign good and perfect will. I imagine that's how she fought for faith and trust in God by focusing on the pearl of great price. Jesus is better. Jesus is better than Jim. Even though he so well pointed me to Jesus. And his will is better. And what did God do with her? I mean, what did God do with her? How many people have come to Christ through her writings? How many people have obeyed Jesus because of her writings and the writing ministry that God has given her? How many people will be in heaven praising God because of what God did through that painful irritation in her life that God so worked into a beautiful pearl? Trust Him. Trust Him and do the next thing. Miss McFarlane, a principal in the school uh, of a school in China, said, keep your treasures in the palm of your hand. If you hold your treasure tight clenched in your fist, God may have to hurt you in order to open your fingers to take it from you. But if it's offered with an open palm of the hand, you will hardly know when it is gone. Charles Spurgeon said, Happy is the man who feels that all he has and all he wants and all he expects are to be found in his God. Beloved, Jesus is the pearl of great price. One final story from Johnny Erickson Tata. Many of you know of her. She suffered greatly in this life. But she writes these words about her father-in-law, calls him Dad Tata, presented me with a family heirloom, a string of genuine pearls. He told me they had been harvested in Japan, not far from where he lived much of his life. I was captivated by the milky soft glow of each perfect pearl. Ken draped the pearls around my neck, that's her husband, and I willed to a mirror, she's in a wheelchair. As I admired them, Dad taught to explain how a pearl is produced. A tiny bit of sand lodges in the flesh of an oyster and becomes an irritating intrusion. Unable to expel it, the oyster covers the particle with layer after layer of a milky secretion until the irritation has become smooth, round, and acceptable. It also inadvertently becomes a precious gem. A pastor once wrote, Pearls, unlike other jewels, are drawn from the animate or living creation. Other jewels are made from rocks and crystals and are mined out of the earth. Pearls are produced by life, a life which has overcome the working of death. Jesus... The pearl of great price is unlike any other.
He is the precious gem set apart from the rest. He lived in such a way that He overcame the working of death. He is superior because His love poured forth from a life wounded by pain. He has become our example. We experience irritants in our lives, but God gives layer after layer of grace until the irritation becomes smooth and acceptable. What was an intrusion becomes a precious gem for all to admire and for which God receives glory. Beloved, there are members of our church, there are people in our neighborhood who are irritated. I mean, more than irritated, that's an understatement. They are going through trials and suffering and pain that is hard for us to imagine. And so we want to love them, we want to pray for them, we want to remind them that through those irritations, God is storing up treasures, unknown and untold and, and unimaginable for them in a glory reserved for them in heaven. Amen? Amen. Sister Tanya knows. You just don't see the big picture right now. You only see a little piece. God sees everything from eternity to eternity. We only see a little piece. God sees it all. And if you're in Christ, He's working everything for your good. Even the irritations, He's making into beautiful gems. I love the, the hymn, the Getty hymn, where it says, Within the night I know your peace. The breath of God brings strength to me. And new each morning mercy flows as treasures of the darkness grow. As treasures of the darkness grow. Beloved, as we cling to the pearl of great price, Jesus Christ, He is working everything for our good. And He is worth leaving everything for and selling everything just to have Him. Christ is the pearl of greatest price. No other lover can entice. In each desire, He's all suffice. He took God's wrath in sacrifice. He died and rose for every vice. So we are cleansed if we're born twice. All things for good, He works precise. Down to the detail, His device. He gives commands, not mere advice, and fills your life with pleasure spice. So trust the Son who paid the price. You'll be with Christ, our paradise. Father, we pray You would give us eyes to see and hearts to feel and know that Christ is our paradise and our pearl of great price. Father, we pray that You would cause us to fall out of love with the things of the world and any kind of idols and sins that are in our lives, we pray that You would set us free from to take Christ as our all in all. Father, if there's anyone here today that has not been born again and not done business with Christ as the great pearl, Father, we pray that today would be the day that You so work in their hearts and minds and eyes to see the, the wickedness and evil and emptiness of sin and show them the beauty and value, the infinite value of Christ and grant them faith and repentance and cause them to be born again today. Father, save and heal and sanctify. Father, we pray for those saints among us who are being deeply irritated right now. Father, we pray that You would help them do the next thing Help them trust You and know that You are working in and for them an eternal weight of glory that will be a pearl even like Jesus as they're made into His image. God, give us faith to believe. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.